Hey, what's going on? My name's Lee Hopkins. Our pronouns are he, him, his, and you're listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. I'm here again with another exciting interview for you. And this interview is really special, near and dear, because I had had an interview with this person before and I had somehow messed up the recording. Um, oops. But fortunately, he was able to return. And it was so interesting because he has such a long life. He had lots of experiences that the experiences that we talked about in the first episode, which is forever the lost recording, we, we didn't talk about much of the, the same thing. We had other things to talk about. And this is probably the best introduction or preface that I've ever given anyone. Getting better with it, but I definitely did not introduce him. I didn't let him, I did not introduce him. I, we actually talked a, a little bit before he actually gave his introduction. So I think it was like eight minutes in before he actually even said who he was. So really quick off the top, this is Tyree Johnson. He's a candidate for... Toastmasters International Director for Region 1. And now if you're not a Toastmaster, then you may not know what that means. If you are a Toastmaster, you may not know what that means. You know what? I really don't know what it means, but he's going to talk about it in this episode. Toastmasters, also, if you're unfamiliar with that, it is an international speaking organization, basically practicing speaking. And everything that is said in this interview is my opinion and mine own and his and his own. We are not representative of Toastmasters per se. We just belong to some clubs and we participate in the organization. We do not represent Toastmasters in any way, shape or form here with our opinions and our views. Now, with that said, are you ready? Let's go. Wow. So uh, district 50, our, our district 57 wanted to have some presenters. And so she and I are going to team up to do something on evaluation. She won the evaluation contest some years ago, five plus years ago, but I just won it last year. And so I won it. Yeah, I won it for, yeah, for the district. I'm the initial, the inaugural evaluation uh, speech winner online. Oh, I see. So, yeah, they get to ask you about your experience, right? Um, because, you know, it's a whole different ball game because there's a lot of different things you can look for. It is. It's since the evaluation contest has been going on, I've been asking, well, I've been, you know, going to the contest and people were evaluating. They're like, all right, instead of just evaluating your stage presence, we're going to evaluate your video and how you appeared on Zoom, your sound. Are we, are we on now? <laughs> yeah. We can talk about that. We, I yeah, can get we are. We are on now. We are on now. Uh, yeah, I, I have my thoughts. So first thing I got to say is I enjoyed the experience. Mm -hmm. um, but it does reflect how our interactions are different now. And if you... Um, have you gone to a conference before? Yeah, I've been uh, to. Real, yeah, so in real life, you know, the camaraderie, the warmth, the exchanges. So 
as I was preparing, I was, we were all in a breakout room and then we come out with it. And I was uh, number two out of nine contestants, right? So the first contestant had some glitch and either didn't come out of the room right and missed the, uh, missed the timing signals. Uh, and, you know, they didn't have a correction. So I came in, I made sure that I saw the timing signals and I did my thing. And I was, I was a bit surprised in that the target speaker was a brother from Canada. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roger Caesar, really good guy. I, I recommend, I, if you want an introduction, I'll do that. He was a really good guy. Gave a strong speech. He had been district champion, an international semifinalist multiple times, right? So he gave a really strong speech. Yeah, they allowed you. Oh, man, that would have been hard for evaluation contests. Well, I, it, it, so I'm telling this story because out of that, I won. And he was impressed with it. the feedback that, that I got was uh, it was a race for second place. There was no doubt that mine was the nice. best. That's what I heard. I, I can't I, I can't say for sure. I, I was nervous. I, I didn't take it for granted. But uh, just the colloquial uh, saying that I heard, they said I did a really good job and I deserved to win. It wasn't close. So with that, Roger reached out to me. He said he was really impressed and he wanted me to come speak to his club in uh, it's outside Ottawa. And so I said I would. And so he and I talked about it. And I said, you know what? Uh, let me, I don't want to just talk about the experience. I'm going to put together a workshop that will involve my experience. But also, he wanted to know, you know, how did I do it and everything. And again, it, this kind of reflects on earth. It didn't get recorded. I'm like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. So I have my notes and everything. But it really made me focus on not just what I did and how it happened, but could I, I won't say replicate it, but could I build something, a, a trail that other people can follow to use? And so mm -hmm. with that, I created like a, a 40 plus minute workshop and I can divide it in two 20 minute things on what I, just what I call it, uh, engineering winning evaluations to the next level. Wow. Engineering winning valuations. To the next level. So, and throughout the whole workshop, I have something for everybody. If you're just starting at your new Toastmaster, uh, you got a few speeches under your belt, you've been around for a while, and I got stuff for the competitors. All right. That sounds good, man. Um, you know, I think that's a really, um, it's a really valuable thing. I mean, it's a really necessary thing for evaluations, because they, especially for people who are going to be judges and, and stuff like that, they have to know what to look for. Even though you know we got evaluation contestants up there, they're they're competing for something, but the judges, what they see and how they mark it on the page is very important. Yeah, right. So with that. Going back to the point that kind of gets my ire, though, is, as you were saying, now 
the the judge's evaluate the current judge's evaluation says nothing about your technical setup says nothing about your background says nothing about your um your stance or or your delivery i think it's four areas it's uh your analysis your recommendation uh your technique and your summation and they're not all they're not all equal weights mm -hmm. but and most people think about their analysis and their recommendations right 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 and, and for me i see most competitors will tell you and this is what cindy Stott will emphasize a lot of people get eliminated because they don't even do the summation so as a competitor you need to know what that but overall just knowing what's what the judge is supposed to look at and what human beings are influenced by uh -huh. is what i take in consideration mm -hmm. right and, and i think it's something that toastmasters should really go back and revisit they're gonna, i think they're gonna have to revisit this for any of our competition because i've heard too often people chris oh you need to stand up uh you need to have your camera here oh, i'm like that's not what currently you're to be evaluated on i get it if you think that's important but yeah. where is that on the bottom line you know i've always heard that evaluations are they're part evaluation, you know, they're part good information for the speaker, but they're also entertainment for the audience. So that's where I would come in. I'm thinking, well, if you're going to sit down and you're just going to read off your paper, then that doesn't seem like entertainment. You know what I mean? Right. But, but, okay. And, and I'm just going to go back. Who did you hear that statement from? You know, does that carry weight? I mean, and, and I'm not going to say, does it carry, should that carry weight? with all the judges. So that's what I'm saying. If that's if that's your conception going into it as a judge, mm -hmm. I would just want to make sure everybody's on the same plane yeah. taking in that same information. Because you could be right. I, I, I won't argue with that, but it's but everybody not should be everybody should be focused on the same thing. It's like I'm not looking for this and they're looking for that. Like how right. are we supposed to come to a a fair conclusion exactly a fair consensus with that exactly yeah so you know tyree we've been talking for a moment i didn't ask you to introduce yourself that's oh, yeah, fine sure. i'm going to ask you to introduce yourself right now who are who you are what you do what, what we're talking about talking about toastmasters why are we talking about right. this stuff right so i my name's tyree johnson and i'm a repeat guest with lee hopkins patterns of possibilities Patterns of possibilities with Lee Hopkins. That's what <laughs> I am right now, his guest. And I, I currently live in San Francisco, California. Uh, he and I know each other through Toastmasters. I said my claim to fame is I've been paying Toastmaster dues for 20 years now. So, you know, now he's about I, to get I could have been invested in the stock market, but I invested in myself over this time. There you go. As it's it's been some time, so you're about to get your comeuppance. You're going for something. What are you doing? Yes, I am a candidate. I've been endorsed by the International Leadership Committee of Toastmasters to run for a Region One International Director. 
Nice. And I don't know. I mean, there may be Toastmasters or people who aren't Toastmasters who don't know what that means, but that's okay. There are people who are Toastmasters that don't know what that means. It's right. a, it's an important title up there. And some people, you know, don't, they're not in that long enough to, to know what that is, to get to that level. So right. I'm really glad to have you here. I'm, I'm glad that you, you said that you would come back. I know he said it's a repeat yeah. guest and it's the first time you're hearing them because I messed up the recording the first time. Right. But, Real quick, so I'm, I'm gonna make my plug now. I'm gonna do it in the end. You wanna know more about it? Go to Tyree, T-Y-R-E-E, -E, the number four, ID.com. That's my website. Uh, you'll see, you'll hear more about why I'm running, what, I'm, what I'd like to do, how I'd like to serve. Find me on Facebook as well, uh, Tyree, the number four, Reg, R-E-G, the number one ID on Facebook. And of course, all that's going to be in the show notes. We'll, right, we'll make sure good. to put that in there. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I'm going to put that in there. So, you know, there's a couple of things. When our last meeting, we talked about a lot of stuff. I took notes. So there were some things that were just so interesting to me, being uh, a couple of them have historically Black college, youth empowerment. We talked about that. And then towards the end of our conversation, we probably talked like an hour and a half. But the end of our conversation, we talked talking about uh, civil rights and how, yes. yeah, and how Martin Luther King Jr. was alive when you were young and like how far back that seems to be for me, how far, like people just kind of say like, well, that was so long ago. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. And we're still fighting these same struggles today. Right, I, I tell you what's interesting is as you live in the times of what happens, the kind of impact it makes on you, on the kind of impact it makes on you emotionally, uh, psychologically, uh, in some cases physically for some people, mm -hmm. but it, it allows you as people become aware, and I'm starting to work on more things about uh, emotional intelligence, but you, your self-awareness, your self-management, and how you relate to other people. And then how do we build community together with all of us as in these moving arenas to be a functional society? Uh, so yes, the impact of Martin Luther King, I was living in a world where it seemed like black and white and that's the clips that you see. But the struggles were real and, and Blood was shed, tears were, were, were shed, uh, bro bones were broken. A lot of people went through a lot of heartache to get through that era. And the 60s, a lot of people came through the 60s, felt like there was energy for hope, but uh, you know the assassination of, of JFK and then Martin Luther King and then uh, JFK's brother, Robert F. Kennedy was devastating. It was devastating. Uh, and in today's time, the mass murders that take place just recklessly all over is devastating. You know, so I think about the young people who I work with today and what things could have an impact. I, I work with a lot of Asian Americans here in San Francisco. And so the, the AAPI uh, anti-hate campaign 
is real to me. Mm-hmm. It's real. It, 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 and as other people say, you don't know what it's like to be black. I wouldn't know what it's like to be uh, under attack as an Asian American or Pacific Islander right. and be accused and looked at as a virus, right? Uh, looked at, but, but the struggle is real. And so therefore you can have empathy and I can have empathy in that and want to say, we all collectively got to have each other's back and expect better from each other. Yeah, exactly. And it's, a, it's that's what connects us. That's what keeps us together. You know, although those instances were so long ago, well, it seemed long ago because it's out of touch. You can't really empathize with it, but that pain is still present and real. And it doesn't just appear just because of that in that history. It appears here. It appears there. It appears with different people. We all have that same kind of struggle. And I think the issue that happens or divides us a whole lot is the denial that anyone else has has this real struggle or has any other feelings. Like, right. like, well, hey, you know, the oppression Olympics is this term that I heard. Yeah, like you ain't got it as bad as I do, man. You know, <laughs> like, well, does that no. matter? What is, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. That becomes a false narrative of of division and distraction, in my opinion, you know? Uh, I think maybe this was something that came up around last week. For me, part of my journey going to a historically black college, Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina, I'm giving a shout out to that, class of 77. My, it wasn't until my senior year that uh, a, a friendly rival, we, we use the term frenemy, it was a brother who <laughs> I knew always wanted to try and show off he was intellectually superior to all the rest of them. And he was kind of throwing me crumbs. He's like, man, you, you kind of smart. Why you hang out with all these dummies, you know, in my fraternity? I was like, I'll show you. I took a political uh, constitutional law class in political science. I didn't have to take it, but just out of the challenge that he put out there. But in that class, I learned about the Fred Karmatsu case versus the United States and how the, the United States government, I'll say legally, but certainly immorally, imprisoned Japanese Americans unfairly, took their, took their property, bugged them up, and it just became a, a boss move to uh, imprison pe- people of color. They weren't black, but they were Japanese. And it was crazy. And, and to this date, that I, as far as I know, they are the only group of people who receive reparations from the government. Because uh, wow. let me just throw this out there. There is a very good uh, documentary film I recommend called 9066, Executive Order 9066 that will give you the history of that. So there was a lot of untruths that came out, you know, to vilify Japanese Americans in, in, in the press and everything. And then, uh, yeah, the, the case against them was, was just wrong. There were a lot of patriotic Japanese Americans who got railroaded. And Kormatsu took his thing to case, took his case to, to court and did not receive justice. But over time, we've seen it. But I, I would highly recommend that film. 
Yeah. All right. I'm glad you put that out there, man, especially in these times, you know, we have to be able to understand what the struggle is because I know that other people are really wrapped up in what's going on in front of them, of course, to not realize that everybody else is still having the same struggle too. Right. Just kind of help each other. We can get a lot further. Right. So pardon that understanding. I appreciate you putting that out there. Yeah. I mean, because for you and I, as as black men, we we understand the, the both the big and the small picture of Black Lives Matter, you know. And and to me, to to know wherever it kicked off with Trayvon Martin, um, but to me, I was born the year Emmett Till was killed down in Mississippi, um, yeah. and just just even now, I, I it turns my stomach to see on the technology that we have today, all the cases of police brutality that take place. And, and that is really disturbing. And as we're right now, we're going through the George Floyd case, mm-hmm. but that's just one arena of the oppression that we deal with. Right, right. It's not just a physical, like an overt thing. It's so interesting, too, that, that people, a lot of people believe that, well, racism is over. Like some people are just discovering racism still exists because right. they haven't been close enough to any of these experiences or ignoring them because they don't need to necessarily get into it. Right. They're like, well, everyone's like me. They have the same opportunities and they're able to do the same things I am. Yeah, but there are other things that are happening that, that you're not paying attention to whether you want to ignore them or whether you're just not, you know, just not interested in discovering more about them, doesn't matter. Just the fact that they're there doesn't mean that, you know, everything is the same. Like you just don't understand other people's experiences. That's what I'm getting at. And that's that. And if it's, uh, if it's willing or unwilling to understand people's experience, whatever it is, if you don't know about it, then you really can't say too much about what it is. So Lee, I want to tie two things together. Uh, and that is, I'm glad you are doing your podcast and putting it out there. And, and if this had to grow at the ground level, I hope that it continues to grow and you get more people uh, to listen and, and learn. Because I was listening to a PBS report that was talking about the George Floyd case. And it's not being reported. They, they ended the reporting on like uh, new, whatever it is, Newsmax 1 and Fox. Because they know their their audience, they don't want to expose their audience to it. And them as a media company want to market their stuff. So mm-hmm. they don't want to expose it. Exactly. To, which goes to your point that if people don't know, they won't care. Right. And, and, and but if the if if you're in a marketplace that controls the messages that you get then that kind of furthers that along. I mean, to me, why isn't the George Floyd case important to Fox News listeners? It should be. It should be. It should be. I mean, there's no argument here between you and you and me, but- Right, right. Like, but, but, but you can see the dynamic of it, one to have the message, but also the messengers who deliver it. And so, yes, they can, you know, it was obvious news, but now they suppress it and they can have all kind of other opinions or just distract you 
with the other shiny objects that happen in the news. You know, yeah. there's, oh, there's people, you know, I know George Floyd thing, we'll give two minutes, we'll give 30 seconds on that, but we'll have a live report on, you know, these people crossing over the border in Mexico and, you know, why they're disturbing our, our, our peace and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, I think that um, to your point about that is, you know, the the way we want to look at things is it is responsibility if we have to see this and know that it's real, if we have to acknowledge it, then that really means we have to do something about it. And that really even comes down to, you know, we're looking at this giant level kind of thing, but if it comes down to our lives, our regular daily lives, and just involving us and our experiences and what we're doing and our patterns of behavior. If we step into something and we see this and we like see we're in a relationship that's not going well and we just try making excuses for it. All right, this is all right. This is this is the way it is. It's the way it's always been. I'm good with it. I just need to be better. And to take a moment to stop and analyze the situation and realize that there's something that needs to change. And that's something that you have to do to change it. Right. People don't like that so much. That's really difficult to, to put it, be in a situation. It's a lot easier to say, well, you know, I'm just a victim of circumstances. I don't know nothing about it. This stuff keeps happening to me. Oh, why or me? Instead of being like, well, this happening looks like I have to do the hard work, the introspection, to take a moment to change the situation. So I think that people are really comfortable with that people will pay to keep that going? No, no, you're right. Uh, something that I wanna take off what you were saying on that too is, um, don't feel like you are the Lone Ranger doing this. I, I think that's one of the things that there literally is strength in numbers. So if you feel as though you're part, not feel, but know you're part of a community a swarm of bees, a flock of seagulls, you know, a, a, a herd of cattle, whatever it is that you are not just, you know, one lone shark out there trying to conquer the sea, right? Uh, that you are part of a community that uh, strives together, suffers together, rises together, you know, uh, takes its L's and, and shares the victories. You know, but if you feel as though you're in this, not necessarily alone, but you can feel hopeless if you don't think that there are other people like you. And I, and I, I see this today, to me, I made a segue. I'm really glad to see more women speak out about the kind of harassment and treatment that they get under under certain circumstances, you know, sexual harassment and stuff. Because most of the time I've I seen something that's happened out here in California, woman said she thought that her uh, oppressor was too powerful for her to speak out against. But she finally found that and then found out there was other women who were in the same, same position. Absolutely. It's that silence and being siloed that keeps you in keeps you in uh, um, like I said, a bubble or in de depressed or discriminated against or in a victim position because you feel like you don't have any power. You feel right. like the shame that comes with it and the ability to, to speak it up and realize like it's hard to be the first one, 
but you were really not the first one. Chances right. are you're not the first one. Yeah. Right. To just have that, to, to be able to do that, to be able to reach out to people and it gives you power and strength. We can all be sharks together and take that ocean. <laughs> for right. But, um, you know, I wanted to go back with, I want to take a, a step back and talk about community for a moment because, you know, I've been a Toastmaster for five something years. And um, one of the things that changed for me is that when I discovered Toastmasters, it was just a corporate club and I had a lot of fun just being in a corporate club. And then I expanded, I got out of the club and uh, I was basically lost for the most part. I was looking for something. I was in Chicago all by myself and going to different clubs. And I felt like I was a part of a big part of the community. One day I decided that I was going to visit 100 Toastmasters clubs. And, you know, this is when we were physically able to go. There's a whole bunch in, Cal in Chicago. So I could do that within the Toastmaster year. And I was going, visiting people. Every club I went to, I found that I was a part of that community. No matter how they looked, no matter what buildings I went into, you know, I went into some of the buildings downtown Chicago, different places, completely security, all this stuff. And thinking that we're on a different level, but not really, because I could go into every Toastmasters meeting and I know what it what to expect. That was the instant part of the community. I knew that they were going to greet me. They were probably going to ask me what I'm doing here. How did I find them? And they're going to applaud for just about everything I did because that's what you do as a Toastmaster. <laughs> we just, and, this, and I could do nothing yeah. wrong. You know, I felt You're like right. so much a part of that community. And, you know, that was really one big thing that, that really helped me out with it, with, with not feeling alone, that loneliness. Thing. Right. So there are people who are in there for that too. I mean, so what, right. what was your experience with uh, like, the Toastmasters and actually just find a community in general. You know, um, and, and, and community is important. And I, I have to say that uh, my sense of community really comes from my upbringing. I was uh, born and raised in uh, Eastside Cleveland. And uh, part of my story is how I didn't know it at the time, but I experienced white flight. I can remember in kindergarten, uh, and I didn't know what the context was, but I remember at least half my class was, was white, white kids. And, you know, just because they looked a little different, it didn't have the, the context of the weight. But I remember by the time I was in third grade, you could count the number of white kids in my elementary school on my left hand and take away my thumb, right? <laughs> you know, and, and again, I didn't understand what that meant. I mean, they just weren't there, mm -hmm. but but my parents did. And still neighborhood I grew up in, working class, middle class, it was, it was not the ghetto, but it definitely was not uh, any rich suburb either. But it was cool. It was a good place to grow up in. Right. But, um, so then I'm well, curious, well, what about your, your experience? So you didn't notice that this was happening. You had to have somebody kind of tell you, and this was well, later on, this was like later on, like you just like, well, something's different. I don't know why it just is. And yeah. each year, you know, you go to a new class, and, and, but it kind of, I, it kind of dawned on me in my third grade, there was no more white kids. And then after that, I realized I wasn't going to see them again. When I say it's only time then I was going to be exposed to them in real life 
was watching them on TV, which, you know, that was okay, you know, at eight years old moving forward. Yeah, because it wasn't something that really impacted your day-to-day life. You just like, well, I see him in school and I don't see him in school now. I mean, they've always been on TV. So, right. right? And uh, I imagine your neighborhood, did your neighborhood change too? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, and it it occurred while in my formation year, because I can remember first grade, there was a white kid named Matthew. I don't, I don't, I won't remember his last name, but everybody called him Skipper. And we had to exchange (laughs) phone numbers. So he and I would call each other. So it was re- I, I enjoyed that. So I, I think the whole thing when we go back to community and and the emotional intelligence is one being self-aware, but also being connecting to other people. So had Skipper and I continue to grow as friends from you know five years old to 15, you know, I would have I would have been able to whatever social um, paths we would have crossed, I would always say, this is my boy, right? I've known him since we were five years old. Mm-hmm. And I would hope, you know, he, he and I would have known, would have had that kind of connection that we would have vouched for each other. Yeah. yeah. So there was a big part of uh, this, I guess, peek into another community that you may have been missing because you didn't grow up with another person who was like, had a different social status right. and different uh upbringing and upbringing and probably a lot of different experiences so you missed out on opportunity both of you actually missed out right. opportunities to peer into each other's lives and like well your experience was this oh mine was that right what or or this? To, to that not just see our differences but see our commonality mm-hmm. right definitely so so that that part of it so i i go with that that's my background but then my community became my neighborhood, literally my hood, you know, and to this day on Facebook, a lot of guys talk about my elementary school, that playground, Grace Mount is gone, but you know, playground legends were born there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say I was one of them, but I can make up a good story, (laughs) you know, but no, but to that, to that degree, well, that's when our Facebook, you know, talking about Grace Mount, uh, and then my junior high school, Alexander Hamilton, it's gone. There was all kind of stuff that went on there. Uh, so then that was my first affiliation. Then I went to a historically black college, like I said. Mm-hmm. And so that was a community. That's still a community that lasts with me soon 50 years. We'll have 50 years together. Um, but uh, the other one is I joined a fraternity, Capital Alpha Psi. That's another one of my, my uh, communities I'm in. And since I've been in California, and I would say more so in San Francisco, I've been part of a church community that, that has really been very supportive for me. I'm part, part of a Temple United Methodist Church that one, is one of the, I won't, I, I'm gonna be careful using superlatives, but it has been one of the most enjoyable, insightful experiences for me because it is fully integrated. I mean, we have a pretty even balance of African-Americans, Africans, Caucasians, Filipino. Now, we're kind of short on on Hispanics, but Chinese. So we have the whole mixture and and we all get to, there, there doesn't seem to be a pecking order of 
you know, of the like you were saying, what it was the oppression Olympics. Yeah, yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah, because you're all connected on this really one important thing that's really important to 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 all of you, which is religion. And so if you're you're solid there, you can always draw back, even if you're having some differences in the what you what you do at home, what you eat, what you wear, how you think, or and some other in some other instances, you can always draw back, like, yeah, well, we all have this commonality. We can meet right here. Even if we step right. off in this direction, we can come right back to this and we can see right. each other as people who have the same religion, have this commonality. And then right. be like, oh yeah, you're you're human like me too. Yeah. Right, right. Flawed, everything else. And if nothing else, uh, within my belief system, I'll just say this one, I won't stay too long on religion, is uh, uh, Jesus Christ's great, two great commandments, love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And second, he said, is like unto this, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what makes me want to dig more into emotional intelligence, more into community building, more in those things, because when I reflect, it's like, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. It's like, sometimes I struggle loving myself. Yes, I was going to jump on that right there. I was going to be like, well, there's some people who just don't know how to treat themselves. They just don't know. They, I mean, they're... They don't like themselves that much. And all right, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm treating you just like I would treat myself. So F you. <laughs> that happens, that happens. Mm -hmm. That happens. And, and it just goes, we are all, no one's perfect. We are all flawed. But it's just interesting uh, how much of that can be self-inflicted. To put it like, some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it does come from the greater society in which we live in in the world. And then other parts of it is what I won't say from the greater society. You can say you have haters, but I just don't believe people got enough time to specifically be hating on patterns of possibility. I just don't know who's out there, Lee, plotting <laughs> your demise. I mean, who got that kind of time and resources? You know, I'm I'm not big enough yet for them to hate yet, but, <laughs> but I guess, you know, I mean, you know, I I'm gonna say though, I see your point with you know who has the the time to really hate on something that is small and insignificant that really doesn't impact their day to day, but there are some people out there who are dedicated to looking for anything to cause or anything to that is not their that uh, is the source of their problem. Is right. yeah. something else that's a source of their problem. And right. they're also, on the other hand, there are people out there who are dedicated to finding people who want to amplify them or they're interested in who like they see community and they're really searching for people who were just like them or they can see commonalities in rather than what they're looking for that's different in other people. And you know, I wanted to step back on the hierarchy thing. We talked about that just for a moment. And um I always think that there's a, a need for people to feel more important and more significant than other people. And I feel like that drives a wedge in the ability to build in a community. Because if you know we're out here, whoever it is, trying to help and be supportive and saying, you know, I see how important you are and I see how special you are and I see myself in you. And you got somebody come along that says, you ain't nothing like me, I'm much better than you. That's problematic too. So have you found that in your community at all? Because you've been a part of several different communities. I'm curious, like, how you handle that? 
Yeah, um, I have seen that take place in a lot of different arenas. Um, and I'll be honest, where I first saw it was uh, in my neighborhood in Cleveland, Lee Harvard area, uh, that as youngsters, my peers and all, all of us in our felt we were athletically superior to white boys over it, you know? Uh, and mm -hmm. I think the whole thing was because we had to be competitive, right? Um, you did not want to be left out on a team or, or belittled because you couldn't compete athletically. Yeah, well, right? I mean, that to, to your point, to a larger society says that you're supposed to be. Uh, and I, I, you know, that helped shape early on my mentality, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm glad I evolved past that, you know, but, but now I can see how it plays out in a lot of different arenas. And I, something that came up in our last conversation was, was uh, my father, my, both my parents, did not try to feed me with that, you know, athletic dream of, of, of you know, maturity. Guess, yeah, being to going to the NBA or or the, right. this kind of uh, those narrow paths that black people were right. told that they could be like on. that was on, yeah, like yeah, we we've seen right those trope like that's the only way out, mm -hmm. right? Um, but yeah. but yeah, to now at least. You know, so, or someone now is say rap is on there, but there now we need to really expand all the venues of improving yourself. And I don't want to just say your way out, but a way up and how you bring people up. You know, so mm -hmm. be aware. It, it, this is the thing now. As I'm older and I and I look back, it's like, yeah, what would have happened had I gotten some kind of million dollar contract? I always think about this. You can. Be, you could be in at 21 and be done at 24. Yep. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? And that money, you're not going to make that kind of money after that. That could be enough to stretch. So you may not have to work at a $40,000 level income for the rest of your life. But, you know, if you're spending the money like you're making a million dollars every year, who's teaching you how to handle your finances and to grow and and right. build and do other things right right because if you always just had if you got that it's about having that mindset and you talked about emotional growth and intelligence about having that mindset where you know if i had ten dollars i'm gonna spend nine as soon as i get it then that's what you're gonna keep doing you got a million you're gonna keep spending and then you keep spending the next thing you know you're like well what happened? I don't. Right. I didn't know that this was going to happen. I didn't know that I should have prepared or anything like that. And so, financial wellness is a part of it. Just that instead of just being that one thing who's really good at uh, um, sports or rap or just actually just one thing, financial literacy and those kind of little things that aren't really amplified as much are the things that are very important to know more. Right. So your parents weren't, your parents didn't just say, hey, go for that dream of being a basketball player. I mean, they could have certainly been like that, but they would also 
could have said, hey, but mind your finances. Also learn this. Also do right. Yeah. Right. And, and I'll be honest, uh, my parents gave me bit rudimentary stuff. It was like, you need to save. You need to do this. Uh, they were no financial wizards themselves. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they put some aside, got some insurance, bought a home. That's, that seemed to be that that I knew, but that was that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's a that's lot, substantial. man. Yes. And now we live, you know, we live in a world where there are so many different uh, venues to express yourself and find financial. Um, it, I won't call them adventures, but just financial pathways to better yourself, and that you're going to have to be mindful. And, and I would say, for everybody coming up you know you're behind me it's like the, the old you know now the old i'm gonna work a job for 20 30 years and get a pension and retire that's, that's out the hard. window yeah ain't nobody's trying to do that either <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah you're right nobody's yeah. trying to do that now it's not one is not available mm -hmm. two yeah nobody's trying to do it I want to be a YouTube star, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's what that's what people after me are thinking. Like, I want to be the next internet sensation. I'm going to make all the money that way. But I guess you know, people in my range, like almost forty ish. Um, I can't believe I said that. Uh, late thirties, <laughs> and uh, they know that pension stuff is completely gone. It's gone. Right. It's not for us. But right. yeah, to to that point though, you. Don't you uh, teach financial literacy or something? Or uh, yeah, teach, that but... is part of um, some of the curriculum that I teach with, uh, and I'll bring this up. What what I do uh, for employment and what I really do as a passion is work with high schoolers on getting their first job. So helping them understand the the attitude that they need to have along with the attentiveness that they need to have their manner of, of behavior moving forward. Because 14 years old, you can tell they all of them need seasoning. But you can see those seasoning. who are who are going to be proactive in taking care of themselves. And if nothing else, yes, I'm teaching them how not in these days, uh, they'll get direct deposit. So there's no need, depending on your circumstances, there's no need for you to go to the liquor store or keep that, you know, try to cash the money, keep it under your, your mattress or anything like that. Yeah. You get a direct deposit and that you need to put some some of that money into a savings account. Right. Uh, if you're not going to go to college, you don't have to go to college, but you need to have a goal for uh, whatever you're earning. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because all that stuff is really important for, you know, your future. Like you have to have a goal to know what you want to do to like your steps in between. So your goal can be kind of lofty or whatever, and you might not know how to get there, but at least, you know, you're going for it. And if you focus on that thing, the opportunities <coughs> will open up. And back to your point about, um, you know, not having the experience with your your friend that you grew up, you could have grown up with. Um Skipper, you could have grown up with him and right. had these experiences, knowing more about each other. And uh, I see, I think about the kids who need the seasoning because they're not having this experience in this other world. I think that when you step into a community, well, when you step into a job, you get to be around people who aren't like you instead of being in the, the place that you always are, where you 
constantly see people who are just like you. You got to step out of that realm and know how to interact with those people. And so right. this ability to um, to see different people isn't always available for for them. So you give them that ability to so like, okay, this is how you talk to other people. This is your mannerisms that you need. These are other things that you need to know that you may not have been taught because school is not going right. to teach you how to do your taxes or, or anything like that. Right, right. Uh, let alone, so I, I, let me just go share more about my journey. So I'm, I went to a historically black college and I was fortunate to get a fellowship to continue and go to graduate school, get an MBA from a Big Ten school, Indiana University. Mm. And, and then that's where, to me, for me, my journey opened me up because now I realize, oh, so this is going to be my, my background to me, this is what I got to compete against, right? Uh, there was a handful of uh, Blacks in that. I mean, when I say a handful. <laughs> and count them on your... Yeah, I, I say more than a handful, but <laughs> no more than two dozen of us. As I recall, there was probably just a, a, a 12 of us. And I would say a handful of them were my friends, you know, some good friends of mine. And, and we all had a similar mindset how we we're going to compete academically and athletically within ourselves. Uh, I was the only one out of my group who came to California. Uh, I got it. I, uh, before I wrapped up, I uh, talked to Hewlett Packard that was in Silicon Valley. And I decided to come here a lot. Most of my friends stayed stayed either in Chicago and that's where I was gonna go as a man. I suffered through too many cold winters. I was like, man, let me see what it's like out here first. Because <laughs> I, I, know what, I know what Chicago and Cleveland was gonna be like, or I could have went to Charlotte. But uh, yeah, so so that was a major shift to me understand. That's when, and when I started HP, uh, we had a, a, a Black uh, Employees Association of some type. Um, and, and that's where the solidarity to me really kind of came together. We all knew, for the most part, you know, on, on a campus of, let's say, Three or four or five thousand people. There was definitely less than a hundred black employees. So, like in my department, I was the only only brother who was in finance when I first started. Wow. So, um, when you when you were so in finance, that's what you went to to college for. Because there were some things that I was curious about. You know, in college, you said you played sports. You played sports. What was that? Basketball, football. No, no. no. Um, when I got to when I got to Smith, um, I bypassed my my uh, my freshman year playing football, and then they they wanted me to redshirt, and I just I was good enough. I learned how to swim in elementary school, so I wound up getting on the swim team, and I swam. Four years uh, at at uh, Johnson C. Smith. Now I wasn't breaking Mark Spitz records by no means, but it still allowed me again the, my competitive nature to do that. And in retrospect, it was easier on my body. Yeah, definitely. You know, and my psyche. This is one of my stories I always said. Man, I never forget 
my sophomore year in practice, rumor came out that there were some pro scouts. We had one or two guys who either got free agent chained out. We had one guy who was like second round picked by the Browns. So anytime you heard that there was pro scouts out there, it amped up everybody. See, everybody wanted to show out. And we were killing. I saw guys just, you know, doing too much, you know, tackling them out of bounds, or trying to show how tough and aggressive they are to impress these scouts. Oh. And I saw something happen to somebody who I really like. And, and it was a good guy on our team and this knucklehead tackling him out of bounds. And, and fortunately, he didn't have major knee damage, but knocked him out for that game simply because he was trying to impress these guys. And I was like, you know what? Mm. I, I, I That's when I internalized. I went home. I was like, I know I'm not going to the pros. I, you know, I, I whatever, yeah. whatever notion I may have had, I was like, hmm. I, I know that's or I know I'm not willing to work that hard and be that maniacal. Yeah, to hurt that hurt that to hurt somebody, right? If that's yeah. what I that's what it was gonna take to get noticed. And it didn't, but it, I just you know, again, you're you're not uh you're not mature enough to to see that, you mm-hmm. know. And, and I just saw it happen too. I mean I, I just saw it happen to too many guys who did not want to invest the time in their academics right like that was going to be their shot right and you knew that there were different avenues or could be different avenues could could right you were a swimmer for goodness sakes you could swim and that's something that's that that's that's a scholarship yeah they made off all other things and you know i had fun had good swim team but more more importantly it also so I knew I wasn't going to be a professional swimmer either, right? Right, so, right, right. You so just I, it, it made me make sure that that my academic lane and my energy was going to be appropriate. So I, I got yeah. decent grades in my classes. So you got you had a nice balance of what you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and real quick, I'll just associate that with why I will always have. Uh, um, a foundation to say that my spiritual base helped me. So something else was looking out for me than my own self. Like, you know, when we talk about loving yourself, I made some decisions back then. You and I have talked about this back then that were selfish in nature. Thinking I was loving myself was really destroying myself. Mm-hmm. And you didn't stay there to your credit. You didn't stay there. You got the foundation. Well, I mean, these experiences, your formative experiences, they kind of help you understand what these experiences are supposed to be, what you're supposed to get from them. And right. you, you talked about introspection and being more um, self-aware and stuff like that. It seems like it's been something that's been happening with you for a while. Like you've been able to observe and say, well, this is for me. This isn't for me after a couple of experiences with it. That's, I think that's contributed a lot to your success based on yeah. what you're saying. I'm hearing you went to a historically black, you were in uh, Alpha Cap, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi. 
Kappa Alpha Psi. Kappa yeah. Alpha, I don't want to say that wrong at all. You can say the Kappas. You can just say the Kappas. The Kappas. You went to the Kappas. And then you were you were part of a lot of different communities. You were in um, Indiana for grad school. Then you went to Hewlett-Packard. You're breaking down. It seems like you're breaking down barriers. It's a whole new experience for me, like listening to someone of your age and uh, a Black person. Like I, I don't really have too many people in my life who open up about these kind of experiences and talk about what what it was it's usually just something like it was difficult it was hard and very short and closed and so i don't get right. understanding about what the experience was what did you what did you do here because it's not about just being held down it's about you and what you've done to look around and see how can you benefit from the situation or or what is it for you, how can you make the best decision, even though you may not have anything working for you? It seems like um, I just actually want to thank you for that because I'm really interested in your experiences. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I said this. This you've been part of several different kind of communities, and it seems like you've been successful and uh, a big part of them. Like, like uh, I don't want to say hero, but I can say that because I don't know what other word to use right now. But I mean, you've been well liked. You've been well liked in these communities that you've been in, right? You've been on the yeah. swim team, and people have liked you on your swim team. You've been cool with the people who are jacks, who are people who are academics. Like, how how is that possible? What do you do? You know, it's and again, I will say blessings to a, a God who opened me up and <laughs> reflective mm -hmm. to some. I definitely took some L's in some cases in that. Uh, I would just say through my 20s and 30s, part of it could have been I still felt insecure in uh, the dating scene, you know, uh, just yeah, what I, I'll just say the outside parameters were didn't seem to uh, standards were didn't seem to, as you say, I was navigating but didn't seem to, to take who I naturally was as a um, alpha male. I was not portraying myself in that manner as a confident male and a considerate male and, and everything else, but I wasn't gonna be nobody's pushover, but you know, uh, I, I wasn't coming in, I, you know, so I wait. wasn't coming in with the pimp ham strong. Okay? Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I mean- I wasn't gonna do all that. So this was the seventies you're talking about when yeah, 70s, time? 80s, mm. you know, uh, that, that was it. And, and it, it, now in retrospect, that was, I won't say it was a facade, but that was the imagery that was put out there. Yeah. It is it, what I say. It became a male fantasy. You know, guys thought that that's what they had to do. Girls would, any self-respecting woman who I knew back then wasn't going for that, you know? Right. And, uh, but you know, now I can say this in retrospect, you needed to be confident, uh, collected, whoever you were. And, and tr it, was, it was interesting for someone to try and be their true authentic self. And, that, and that's where emotional intelligence comes in. Understanding where society is, but also have an awareness of who you are and how you manage your emotions and then interface with 
other people, right? Definitely. We are still learning about, uh, well, now it's toxic masculinity. We have words for the things that happened 40 something years ago. We have words for it now. We're just now unpacking that and meeting a lot of resistance with it too. It's like, I've always been doing it this way. Women love it this way. And they're like, yeah, some of them were like, yeah, we love it this way. Some are like, no, what are you talking about? This is terrible. Like, (laughs) you know, we're actually having a conversation now, whereas back in the day, it was like, no, well, you need to be this way. And there's no other visibility to how you could possibly be. Right, 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 right. Uh, certainly not in the popular culture. Yeah, definitely. You know? And it was really hard in the, uh, it, or you were going to be. Dude, all I have going through my head right now is shaft. Just that's, okay. that's it right there. <laughs> right. Or, 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 or the other part that wasn't stated, but it, it was the other one, or, or you were going to be the um, stereotypical. Church guy, you know, so you're always gonna go to church, you're always gonna do this. And you know, I, I just know enough people who've gone to church who are you can't be a living saint. You can work toward that, but no one's gonna expect you to be a living saint, and not have problems. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be the other part that would be not as it wasn't promoted, but it was another expectation of the culture. It's like, okay, no, no, no one. No one wants you to be Fred is dead, the drug dealer or mm-hmm. or the drug addict. You know, that that was not one. Right. But, you know, in certain neighborhoods, being the drug pusher and or the gangster, if, you, if that's what it took for you to get money, that's what it was. Hardworking guys, you know, but still, when we talk about toxic masculinity, you know, it crosses all. Uh, economic classes, Definitely. races, mm-hmm. situations, and all that, and and I think, yeah, I'm glad more of that's been exposed. Definitely, yeah. You know, I think of when I think of toxic masculinity, I think of this idea of, of course, chef, just not being your authentic self, which is the most important thing is to be able to be authentic and to have this ability to be somewhere in between this hardworking guy who has some problems. Like you have to be able to be open. Like I I think about the role models that that may have been on TV. I'm thinking about uh, that TV show, Good Times. For some reason, the guy that popped into my head. Now he's a hardworking man. He, uh, John Amos, I think it is. John Amos, yeah. Yeah, Amos. Me? Patriarch, yeah. Yeah, and so, but he did have real problems. He was, but he was always like, I'm the man of the house. Like, I don't have any other feelings. I got to provide, that's what it is. And, but there, but there's other sides to him and his character and his story. And is the same with other black people, other people in general. It's like, yeah, sure. You, you're Tyree, you're probably not that dude. You're not probably not that dude. You're somewhere in between. I'm somewhere in between. I know I'm not the most masculine guy out there either but um you know i am genuine and i want to be honest and i think that i'm not gonna have to raise my voice or be any kind of toxic because i i mean i think i've lived that i've been there and i've done that and i know it doesn't work it doesn't work for anybody involved well well and to me to your credit i mean and i wouldn't say this is an overstatement you living in chicago is me observing i mean there's a lot of not just toxic masculinity, but violence 
that takes place behind. I, I don't know what what it is, but you know the shootings and the and the violence that takes place. Black on black crime is uh, notorious in Chicago. So I, I think about that. And, and actually, uh, I've had mentioned my good from one of my best friends. I was best man in his wedding, Charles Davis, who's a, a, a psychologist there. But um, just knowing that here's this thing that I don't know what it is that means that the conflict has to be settled with gunfire and somebody's death. Yeah, and that's just really, it's really tough, you know, thinking about that. I want to say that, but this is my analysis, not being a psychologist or anything, mm -hmm. just, you know, looking and I think that communication, this ability to, first of all, there's so many levels of communication. And I think there's this intuitive, intuitive communication. I think that's the most powerful where, you know, you step in a room and you kind of feel the vibe of the room. You kind of know how things are. You kind of know how people are feeling in the room. You don't have to say anything to each other. And then there's another level where you're talking to each other. Well, uh, Tyree, I'm telling you exactly how I feel about this thing. And this is just the part where you receive it because I have the words to put to what I'm feeling and thinking. Right. And then you're able to receive it. And then without those, without those, those two things, I think those are the, the smoothest and easiest. But if you don't understand what I'm saying and I'm still trying to talk to you, then my aggression may raise up because I want to be heard. I want to be understood. And so I'm going to start changing the way I use the words and I'm not going to be like so nice to you. I'm going to say some swear words to you. I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to say something like that. And then you're still not hearing what I'm saying. I'm going to insult your character. Pay attention to me. This is what I'm trying to say. Right. To you. right. Then, all right, well, you still can't hear me. I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> oh, no, oh. I, it's interesting how you built that. That's Those are very interesting. And, and, and that progression can take place like that. Yeah, so, absolutely. And if you still want to hear me when I punch you in the face, then I'm going to race you because you don't need to be here if you can't understand me. Right, right, right. It, and it's interesting how that started with, again, I, I kind of go back to yourself. It's like, I don't feel respected. I, I don't feel like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you think I count. So I'm going to show you. You know, yeah. That, yeah. And, and you hear these in colloquial sayings. Do you hear me? You hear what I'm saying? Hmm. Oh, I don't think you hear what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, and uh, you don't think I'm, you think I'm playing? You think this is a game? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's that, ooh. and what is it that drives you to want somebody to understand you before you can be comfortable with the fact that, hey, he don't understand me. That's cool. Can I just be like that? You know, I, some of it I will just say is biology. It, 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 knowing that there's a little bit kind of knowing the effect of testosterone in, on your brain will push you in that, that direction. Yeah. You, know? so you have to manage that. Mm hmm. Yeah. So awareness about who you are, awareness about yourself and everything like that. You know, I, I learned that um, when I, I used to get angry, often it was quick, it was easy. And uh, I would just feel myself, I would know that I was angry until after I've already done something. And then after I started to slow it down, I realized I get real hot. And 
and then it happens. Now I'm at to a point where, oh, I feel it coming on and I could like recognize that the biology is changing or something going on there and do something like take a deep breath, take a couple of deep breaths. I read right. that somewhere, but yeah, it's that awareness of who you are before you can do anything else. Like know what's right. going on inside of yourself, your, your mind, your physically, your biology and all that. So it seems like you have, uh, have had a lot of experiences that have put you in a, a position where you can, you can also, you can think about your own, but you can also observe and share with other people what, what you've experienced and what they might be experiencing. Right. Right. I, I, I can, uh, I can remember now, I don't think it happens, doesn't happen that often, but uh, the, the times where my temper got the best of me really gave me time for reflection. And one of them was uh, that this one thing incident happened that I will, I will always remember. So anytime I feel like I got triggered, I was playing a flag football game against the heated rival and it was arguing always back and forth. And then there was some argument that was going on with the referees and, and I just kind of removed myself from that so I could focus on the next thing. Well, while I was into my own thoughts and not looking at some, out of nowhere, a football hit me in the head. <laughs> and, 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 you know, if somebody was looking from the outside, could have been some kids playing or whatever. And, but for me, and it and it hit me hard, it blindsided me. Oh. Right? Because I turned around and went and bam. And it just triggered it. It's like there was a guy on the other team. I just immediately said, he hit me in the head with the ball and I'm gonna kill him. Mm. And I went after him like I was a werewolf. I mean, I got all heated up and I'm cursing and I and, and literally this is what I remember. It was one of those things, people were homing, and I could see my hands trying to get to his throat. And I could, my fingertips were there, but I didn't get it. And then enough happened, I settled down and it was on their side. So I had to walk across the field and uh, granted, this was low level recreation, but friends of mine and more so I remember like they were like wives or girlfriends of my teammates were there and they looked at me like I was a monster. Mm. And I'll never forget the look on their faces. And I was like, oh, so that's, you know, I, it, it became one of those things. Oh, I wasn't, we weren't necessarily close, but, we went, but I knew in their minds that was, it was like, it would have been one of those things. Said, Did you see how angry he was? He was a madman, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Uh, it, those are the kind of things that don't erase is like, oh yeah, he's a nice guy, but don't piss him off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so um, I really like that you brought that up as an example. And I think about that as in you saw the the impact of your actions and right. you were like, do I like what I see? Right. And it made you, it, the awareness about how you impact other people around you made you like pause and right. you consider what well, well i gotta be honest i mean th that's how i was and i mean because i had teammates where i've been in other situations where um i knew guys had guns 
I never saw them, but it was a whole thing stopping somebody from going to their car to pull out their tools. Uh, and I think about that, I was like, whoa. Um, like we were saying, he's like, you're not hearing me. And I, I'm so mm -hmm. wrapped up into my feelings that, you know, I have to not just, you know, doing this, this and, oh, kick your ass, you know, all that and break your jaw. It's like, no, yeah. uh, you know, cause to me, that's not, a, that's not an empty threat you got to throw out there. Yeah, exactly. And you know, one of the things I think would, would stop people from doing that, or the, at least this emotional energy that comes by so strong is this, this idea that they have a goal out there. And they're like, well, how does this impact my goal? Like, I want to do X, Y, Z. And if I punch this guy in the face, then I'm going to, to jail. Is this going to hurt me in some way? Or is it going to mess up the relationship that I have with other people? And I rely on these people or, or I love these people. Or I'm important to these people. Am I going to disappoint someone? I mean, is that that idea that you have something else out there? So back to your program about um, teaching the young people how to get a job and stuff. I feel like, well, that gives them a little clarity, like, all right, you're 14, and maybe you can't have employment till you're 18. That's going to inform the years that you do in between. Right. And not, and not make rash emotional decisions, because I'm glad you brought that up. It's like what you were just describing that scenario is, oh, reflection, you know, whatever. But, when, you know, when you're younger, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't necessarily, I'm just saying, you know, how? How old were you before you were able to, to slow down that, that thought process to think uh, about? It? I was like early 30s. Okay, see? <laughs> <laughs> you could let the match it when you were 12. That's eight, that's, you know, 18 mm -hmm. years of, you know, it's possible, you know, <laughs> nuclear explosions. <laughs> and, and here's the other thing, Lee, that goes along with that is that. Not only that, easily you could have had co-conspirators and collaborators in with you, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, after the fact, they've been like, oh, why did we do that? But in the meantime, you know, do it, man, you know, go on. Or that, I wouldn't take that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I wouldn't take that. That's you so know? true. That's so true. Come on, we're going to do this. We're going to do this together. Right, come on, or man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to represent. You think you're going to allow him to punk you like that? Or you're going to be disrespected? <laughs> I'm laughing because I know it's true. And there have been some experiences. So, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. But, you know, plant that little seed in there still. Give them hopefully give them something to to consider other than just this path or just the voices that they hear. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> that's a good point, man. That's yeah. a good no, point. No, I'm glad you Okay, I gotta tell you one more story. This is the one. This is the one that uh, I'll just tell this. Story. So I bought my first house, and uh, I had a set of housemates that um, we were having a lot of fun. Said it was that I was one of them was saying. I says, you know, I don't want us to get stopped for running bordello in this joint. Right? It was crazy. And, uh, but one of the guys, uh, his name was Michael, uh, was out of work. But uh, my, 
my our our mutual friend kind of co-sponsored. He says, "Hey, let the dude stay here for a while. Then help him get on his feet. You know, uh, I'll chip in on his rent, right?" And back then, I don't know, two three hundred bucks. You know, stay in the room. Well, back then you only had a landline. Mike is on my phone. He don't he don't want to clean up rain. And he's going to tell me to be quiet on my using my phone when we're all doing stuff. And he just did it in such a rude way. I was like, I was livid. I, I pictured myself and my boy had to calm me down because I eat. He was smaller than me. And I pictured myself with a telephone cord around his neck. And, and then my thing was, I wanted to turn blue. I was not going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted him to think he was going to die. And then I caught myself reflecting. I was like, that's when you, when you were saying, oh, what happens after this? But man, it took me, it felt like 30 seconds mm. to process that. Wow. Because <laughs> really, the other, like, wasn't even thinking about the outcome, but just, uh, and then as I was thinking about doing that, then I was like, oh. I don't, man, I, I don't want to kill homeboy. I certainly want him to feel some pain. And then, you know, then I thought about if I did that, he, you know, if I'm not going to kill him and not going to dispose of the body, he can call <laughs> you know, the whole nine yards. This, this would be a bad situation. Yeah. Uh, but I was still angry at how, it, and my, a couple of my friends who were there at the time, they, we, we laugh and joke about it now. But mm -hmm. at the time, and they would call me by and say, that's like they would, he called me by and said, Johnson, you just need to chill out. I was like, I was like, dude, you need to get off my phone and get your ass out of my house. <laughs> you know, you need to make yourself homeless real quick. No, when, I ain't what happened? But, yeah, but, what yeah, happened? But it was one of those things is like, yeah, that that match mm -hmm. lights up and yeah, I, I, I don't know what kept, oh, but I, the segue to this was, and I said, was in me collecting my thoughts and everything was, I, I just felt like it was a spirit of calmness that had to come from God that made me reflect on not going that far. So after those kind of things happened, and I think some of that was biology. My testosterone was way higher back then mm -hmm. than it is now. I hadn't, had, I, but I remember those episodes, and I was like, "Whoa, you know, a, mm -hmm. an inch further in in any direction could have really been bad news." Absolutely, and. Oh, well, it's good for your friend, I'm sure. I don't know if they're your friend. Well, he wasn't my friend. He wasn't that dude. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Space, man. <laughs> it was just good for his livelihood. Good for it. Just say that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and people are becoming more conscious of the fact that, you know, you can do that. And they're trying to teach kids who are younger than us. So, you know, I probably, I started to get this information when I was in my late 20s starting to really apply it in my early thirties about, you know, just watching your emotional wellness and the energy and all that stuff. And now kids are growing up with that. I've seen a video the other day with a little six-year-old calming his four-year-old brother down. I saw that. Yeah, you saw that? Yeah, yeah that I was, was like, oh. 
Settle down, breathe. breathe. Oh man, that, that was awesome. That was precious. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was precious. Wow. So, I, yeah, wow. Man, I, now I think an episode, I, I wish I could have done that for my younger brother. Yeah, but I mean, now you can do it for other kids who are that age. You know what I mean? You could be that yeah. and share these stories that you share. Because <laughs> yeah, you, you know, can laugh you know about I, it. Yeah, more. I, I hate to have to go to the negative stuff, but to, you know, to have not crossed the line where it's tragic, you know, or hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we just want to avoid that. I mean, we we are fortunate enough as humans, as as people who can teach what our experiences are. We don't have to learn everything from scratch, you know. We don't have to reinvent the wheel because somebody's already done it and we can continue to grow from that. Right. Right. So with this, your experiences, well, hey, son, I didn't did this and this is how it turned out. So just be conscious of that and some things you can do. Like you don't have to try this experience and find out. We know fire is hot. You don't get to stick your hand in there. You know it is. And there's some other things you can do. Right. Yeah. Alana, I just want to add is the fact that the other thing is the greater society. I, I, you know, that it painted black men as threats. You know, we can't control ourselves. We're nothing but brutes or or gangsters or we're we're not emotionally uh, mature or secure to, you know, work things out. Yeah, you don't have- You know, that, that, and I, and, and, you know, I think about, Versus, I do knew I did know guys who were to- toxic in many different ways. I mean, they were just—I don't know what would have changed them. You know, they—they uh, they wouldn't need deep mm-hmm. therapy. And I knew a lot of them. I knew a lot of them. So it's like one of those things. Relative, I knew I wasn't, but I had my moments. But I knew some guys who were like, yeah, you know, they—they they were dangerous. Wow. I knew some guys who were who were dangerous from junior high school, you know. Dang. I feel like I want to talk about that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to leave it right there because, <laughs> because there's going to be more. I mean, I'm sure we've been talking for a while and there's probably going to be more stuff that comes out with that. I mean, you're so interesting. The last we had this conversation there were so many things I talked about we had in the conversation notes I wrote down and we didn't even touch those <laughs> we didn't even right, talk, right. talk about something completely different but just as interesting and just as insightful so you know as we kind of wrap up here I'm curious to know about this international director role what is that oh so the role of uh, of a regional international director is really to be on the policy making board of Toastmasters. So as opposed to thinking that I am representing the members in region one, I'm really representing all of Toastmasters on certain subjects, certain topics that are affecting the organization moving forward. It's growth, it's integrity, uh, it's, it's path and impact on its members and, and how its members can impact society. All right. So paths and impact the society. Yeah, because we talked a bit about you know, evaluations and stuff. And then 
you know, your life experience yeah. really inform, it seems like it's going to inform how you feel about, you know, how you, how you do your Toastmasters role as, as uh, in a regional, regional? Uh, as a region, yeah, region one international director. Region one international director. So what are some of the visions that you might have for, for this? Well, I'll be honest, uh, my vision includes as many people to want to grow as communicators in the society with the tools that are available. So now technology is, is upon us and is integral in our life. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, we continue to be who we are by using our brains to create tools and technology to improve our, improve our lives. And that's even more so in the manner of our communication. So as we just came through or we're moving through this pandemic, have we not had this technology like Zoom and not everybody has it, so that goes into equity. I'm not gonna get into that. But, now, but there's enough there that didn't allow force our society to shut down like the Spanish flu did over a hundred years ago. Right. 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 You know, I was talking to somebody about, well, if this pandemic had happened in the nineties, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> exactly. exactly. We had, we had AOL and, <laughs> and we just, right. that's right. just it. We just barely had that. So the communication with each other, we'd have been, it'd have been a whole different level you know, we wouldn't have been able to have this kind of connection with each other, probably wouldn't have felt more, more right. like and, our society grind to a stop. Go ahead. Right. And, and, and it's looking at, for Toastmasters, uh, more than anything else, I had this conversation with some other Toastmasters today who are saying they just don't think uh, meeting in person, or put like this, there are enough people who are on both sides of the, of the aisle Someone was saying, I'm not going back to meeting in person versus others are saying, I can't look, I'm so much looking forward to meeting everybody in person. And I don't know if there's a real happy medium. You can talk about hybrid meetings and I, I want to learn more about that. But I just know as people talk about it, it will take way more work than committing to one or the other. Absolutely. You know, I have a, I belong to a club that did their first hybrid meeting. So if you're interested in kind of checking it out, see what they did. I could see that there was, you know, some kinks to work out and everything, but they enjoyed being there in person. And I'm like, I'm just on the computer at home. I'm okay with being at home. So I could see that there's some kind of a struggle, not a struggle, but there's something new is going to come out of this. Right. Which again is, for Toastmasters, but I say the greater society, as we hear, you know, uh, at least yeah. a lot of tech companies, but I would say all kinds of companies are saying our office footprint is going to be reduced by a significant percentage. We don't need two things. Company says, maybe we don't need all this office space. And their employees are telling you, I don't need to come into the office to do my job. Right on. Right, right on. And, I don't want to go. And therefore, you know, we we invest that becomes part of our economy, building 
buildings to house people to do business. Now, you know, I, uh, for generations to come, the next set of houses need to be built so that you can have a home office, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you don't need as much space, uh, as many buildings to be built for offices. Maybe more of that can be uh, converted into something. Oh, it doesn't even have to be converted into homes. Make it open space for our environment. I, I was going to say that. Maybe it's something open for recreation or, or some kind of community building because you know, after you're at home for so long, you're going to want to come out and do something. So, right. yeah, I like that. I'm going to vote for you. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of people to do that. The, so the, the other part to that is, yes, that our environment is, and I pay attention to this, our environment does make a difference. So Toastmasters needs to realize that, uh, how we live makes a difference and how we share our lifestyle patterns make a difference, mm -hmm. right? So we can, we, as communicators and leaders, we can influence the kind of decisions uh, everybody makes for us to live together better, right? And to, to mm -hmm. say, yes, Lee, I mean, yeah, I really think about this this opportunity for us to know each other, how would I get to really know you? Right, because- You know, I, 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 the best scenario I could kind of think of could have been, I could have met you at a Chicago Toastmaster convention and we could have bumped heads, we could have changed numbers and then then what happened, you know, typically, I, I, I was, won't say typically, but too often, Oh yeah, we had a good conversation. We met for lunch. So change numbers. Let's stay there. Out of sight, day. out of mind. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. I might versus this way. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, it's not just a blank phone call here, but we we can progress in the knowing, and the distance is not it, and the and the level of communication can be connected. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's this ability to reach further than inside of what we can just see. Like we can, right. just the people that we bump into that we experience in, in the physical realm. But I mean, we can actually talk to people all over the world. There, there would have been, I can't even think of an instance where I would have run into, like you just said at the Chicago convention, but there are so many people there. Right. And even if you were on stage and you were a big figure, it'd be like, well, I'm, busy doing something else or right. I got exactly. my own group of people that I'm here to talk to or, or whatnot. So I would have missed out on this opportunity to have right. this kind of connection. Right. So you're saying that we should capitalize on that. I, I really do. I, I think that, um, again, our humanness, our humanity craves for deeper connection. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. So how can we use the tools, the technology, to further deepen our connection, right? So right. That's still, that still comes down to us as individuals desiring to make that happen, mm. right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and bringing it to the forefront, I like, I like that. I like that idea because I'm all about connection. So when you do this as 
you know, on your platform, we, because Toastmasters was a big thing for me to help me connect with other people as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing, do you help facilitate some deeper connections? People use this, this technology in a different way. Right. I totally agree. And, and it is interesting. You know, our tagline is where leaders are made. And that's a good tagline. But I, I just think there's a lot of different layers to that that will help us become leaders is, you know, and we can go through what, what are leaders? Why do we need leaders? Um, how do you make leaders, you know, and, yes. and all that. Um, but that's why I like continuing to talk about emotional intelligence because before the, the paradigm was the leader was the Roman God or, you know, your, your physical stature. And yet history has still shown us that, there's myths or stories about those of physical stature, but we see those who have persevered use their wit and or had a strong heart muscle that cared for people enough to move the move the move make the movement go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the kind of leaders. Those are the best kind of leaders. So, Mr. Tyree Johnson, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell everyone where they can find you once more? Sure. I, they can find me on it. I would really appreciate if they go to my website, which is Tyree, T-Y-R-E-E, -E, the number four, ID.com. Uh, that's my current website that is uh, has information about me running for region one director of Toastmasters. Also, you can please comment like you can go to my Facebook page and it's Tyree, the number four, Reg, R-E-G, one ID. And uh, you'll find content there. I'm, I'm trying to beef that up as we talk. I'm also on Twitter, uh, Tyree four ID on Twitter. And uh, yes, I'm putting together a LinkedIn page and as well as find me on, on uh, Instagram, on IG. I was going to say, Instagram, I'm on, I'm on Instagram a whole lot. So that's cool. That's cool. You gotta, yeah, you got to, I'm on Instagram, not as much as I follow it, but I need to be on it. I need to do more posts. So we can talk about that. Yeah. I, I I find Instagram entertaining. I do. I do too. I find it a lot more um, more fun than Facebook. I'm not really on Facebook just because there's a lot of reading and a lot of like, uh, I don't know, opinions that you have to really get through before you can, I think, enjoy the whole thing. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, Instagram, all you need is to look at these pictures that go by. I don't have to think too much. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a different flavor, different taste for different things. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely, man. I want to thank you again. Oh wait, lastly, so if what if I'm not a Toastmaster, I mean, is it still cool to connect with you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're not a Toastmaster, yes, you're a Toastmaster. I gave you those links. But yes, uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Tyree Johnson. Find me on that or my email. Johnson.tyree, T-Y-R-E, at gmail.com. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on again for the second time. 
we'll talk again again. Okay, <laughs> we will. We will. Let's all make right. all this marinate. Yes, the, for sure. Yeah, this was good. I, I here. This is a, a a quote that I really like. Coming together is the beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. Nice. Thank you. Thank you again, Tyree Johnson. All right. Patterns of Possibilities with Lee Hopkins. Follow him. There's a lot of knowledge going on with this man, dropping a lot of science on us. I really appreciate his idea of community and getting people together and structure because I, I really enjoy that myself. I want to see that for myself. So I'm really excited to see what he does in the future. Make sure you follow him, Tyree Johnson. If you aren't familiar with Toastmasters, then you can still follow him. He still has great ideas. He's still interesting and um, he's definitely open to connecting with you. My name is Lee Hopkins, my pronouns are he, him, his, and you have been listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. I hope that you found today's episode interesting, insightful, and helpful in some way. If you did, or if you didn't, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can also find me at PatternsOfPossibility.com and on all those social medias at Patterns of Possibility. Until next time. Take care.